Hey, Shane here from Shane Smith. I'm here today on Mind Matters, Navigating Head Injuries and Concussions, our podcast. And Thomas is here with us. He's one of the attorneys from the Concussion and Brain Injury Group at Shane Smith Law. And today we're going to be talking about traumatic brain injuries, but a specific part of that and how it impacts sleep disturbances. So Thomas, before we dig into all of that, what is a traumatic brain injury? Yeah, a traumatic brain injury occurs when there's a direct bump uh, below or jolt to the head or when there's blunt force or a hit to the body that causes the head or brain to move quickly back and forth or just quickly back, quickly forth. This causes the brain to bounce around or even twist inside of the skull. Uh, and it also causes chemical changes in the brain and stretching or damaging brain cells. So, so I, it sounds to me like, you know, when I was a kid, I had one of those balls and inside of it was another ball and you could hit it against the wall and obviously that's an impact but you could also just shake the thing and you could hear the ball inside bouncing around same thing with the brain similar concept with skull and and the brain inside yeah and um you know when you do that when you shake that ball or when you know that skull gets shaked around that can lead to changes in the brain which lead to symptoms that might affect how you think learn act feel smell or, or even sleep wow all right so and sleep's what we're going to talk about today and uh Sleep is not really something I think about when, when I'm talking about injuries, you, you know, and, and what's going on in your life. Rarely, since I don't do brain injuries all the time, do I think, okay, tell me about your sleep. Not like I know if you hurt your back and you're in pain, it can be hard to sleep, but how does, how does have a TBI affect sleep normally? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. They, uh, they become a crucial part of the narrative and, you know, the true story that we tell about what's happened to our clients. These are things, you know, when we talk about sleep disturbances, they not only impact your daily life, as anybody who uh, has ever had any difficulty getting sleep can tell you, you know, the importance of a good night's sleep. <laughs> like a, a new mom, for instance. <laughs> right, yeah, new mom, new dad, any of those things. Uh, you know, sleep, it, it's crucial. And if you can establish a clear connection between the TBI and those sleep disturbances, you've established a pivotal step in building a strong case. What, what does sleep disturbances mean, right? Is that like I wake up all the time? Is that... I never get into deep sleep, is it I can't fall asleep? What is sleep disturbances in the context of a TBI? Yeah, so a sleep disturbance, it falls under, they've kind of got several different categories underneath it. This is something you commonly see in TBIs. Uh, they're caused by multiple different reasons though, so you need some kind of correlation, some yeah. clinical correlation. Now if I get a concussion, does that mean I'm going to have a sleep issue? Is that what you're saying is pretty common? It's pretty common, it's, it's not necessarily going to be the case, but when you have a TBI, some of the related sleep disturbances that you might have, they include insomnia, obstructive sleep apnea, uh, excessive sleepiness, that's called hypersomnia. Okay. Uh, 50 cent word there, as my dad used to say, and uh, narcolepsy. Now, Thomas, before we go into what each of these types of sleep disturbances are, um, how common are they? Because we've talked a little bit about before, it's pretty common, but what does that mean? like? You know, am I like 90% likely to have a sleep disturbance? Is like 10%? What, what does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's been a lot of different studies done on these. One In one of these studies of, of 100 different patients, one year after TBI, 50% of them continue to have difficulty with sleep. Even after a year? Even after a year. And 64% of that 50% reported waking up too soon. 25% of them reported prolonged sleep. 
and 45% of that uh, reported difficulty with falling asleep. Okay, so a little mix of everything basically, right? Your sleeper's nightmare kind of deal? Yeah, and, and you know, we talked about, hey, one year, even one year, and another study, three years after the TBI, 67% of individuals reported persistent sleep disturbance. That's even worse. Even worse, and of those 20%, 20 of those, 27% had difficulty with except, excessive sleep. So, you know, oversleeping their alarm, going way too long, disrupting their life and work. 12% had excessive daytime sleepiness and 10% had insomnia. Okay. Now, the, the scary fact about this, is, at least for me, I, I, I value my sleep, um, is that insomnia occurs in 30 to 50% of TBI cases and might not appear until weeks to months after the injury. So um, you may, if you're not knowledgeable in TBIs, you might not even associate it with it because it didn't appear for, for several weeks, right? Right, and you know, you can obviously see where that can create difficulties in speaking with an adjuster who has very limited experience on, on some things, probably brain injuries in particular, you know, and it's right. like, hey, you know, this didn't, this might not have shown up until a month after the crash, but that doesn't mean it's not related. Uh, there are different causes that are responsible for insomnia. You know, that's something certainly to acknowledge, but one of those causes is damage to the brain structure. Let me ask you this too. So if I have one type of sleep disturbance, am I not going to have the others or are these all mixed together? Like if I've got insomnia, it would seem to me when I think about it, I could also have the sleepiness during the day because I didn't sleep, right? Or hypersleepiness. So do people have insomnia then the next week they're so tired they oversleep and do all this? It impacts, you can have all types of them? Yeah, I think you could have a mix. Uh, certainly have a mix. Uh, you know, we talked about insomnia being present in 30 to 50% sleep apnea. Um, that was found in 30 to 40% of TBI patients who experienced daytime sleepiness. So you see a lot of crossover. It's not just like you're going to have sleep apnea, you're going to have insomnia. You can definitely see that mix over. Whether there's been specific studies that will go beyond isolating one, I, I'm not exactly sure of that, but there's a multitude of uh, studies that look at these kind of in isolation, you know, studying for one factor, controlling for one now, factor. It I know the effects of messed up sleep compound. Yeah. Day after day after day, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, it can make everything difficult, right? Right. Sleep, we're finding more and more out, is just one of the most crucial parts of your life. You know, your sleep, your diet, your physical activity. These are essentially the building blocks to having a healthy lifestyle and healthy well-being. If one of those goes off, here, sleep disturbance being one of the things that's affected by TBI, you can disrupt your entire life. You know, the healing of your body, your metabolism. Scary fact that, you know, learned in, in researching this issue is that TBI can essentially cause a flip-flopping of your waking and sleeping cycle. So if you think about oh, wow. daylight savings time and how that throws havoc yeah. on your and that's life. just one hour. Yeah, this, this can flip-flop your entire days and nights where you're awake at night and asleep during the day. That's called circadian rhythm uh, sleep disorder. That, wow. that can happen with TBI. Uh, and I, I've seen the effects that can have on somebody who works night shift for a long time. It starts bleeding over into everything. It's not uncommon for it impact their metabolism, their weight, their emotional aspect, I mean their moods, everything. And that's something I don't want to say you can control, but you know, you have a little bit of control there. Whereas this, you've got no control. Yeah. 
it's like being forced into a third shift lifestyle, which studies have shown is really harmful to your body is working that type of lifestyle. So if that is forced upon you by the negligence of someone else and causing you a traumatic brain injury, that's a, uh, a life-changing sort of incident. Yeah, because most higher paying jobs for one are daytime jobs. Right. I mean, I'm not gonna say there are no great nighttime jobs, but the vast majority of the high income jobs are daytime. A lot of times the nighttime jobs are there, but they don't pay as well. Right. Yeah, and you think about kind of being an attorney or being a doctor or being somebody who runs a restaurant or, or any of these things where you do what you have to do during the day because that's when your clientele is out and about. If you have something like that happen for someone like that or a teacher, you know, yeah. or even a mother, you know, a full-time mom, staying right. at home watching the kids. Because like, the kids are up like during the day, right? Yeah, kids are up during the day and you're, you can't get off the couch. Like, that's terrible. I mean, even, even non-economically, but just socially, yeah. I mean, interacting with everybody would be so much harder as well because while everybody else is up moving around, you're asleep. And while everybody, I mean, and they want to wind down at 9 o'clock, they're settling in for bed and you're like, it's 8 yeah. in the morning. There's a ripple effect on your social life and your psychological health and just everything that makes us human beings. What evidence do we need for, the, for this, right? I mean, how do I prove I've got sleep disturbances? Yeah, so as in any case, documentation is key. We're looking for medical records, we're seeking expert opinions, and we might even involve sleep specialists to provide a comprehensive picture. One of the goals that we have is, is showing to a jury how TBI has directly led to those observed sleep disturbances uh, and strengthening our case in that process. There's some diagnostic measures that you can use for this. Some of these involve self-reporting. Others involve you know, what you call objective testing. Those, those self-reporting mechanisms, you could use a sleep diary just to report your sleep night by night. There's questionnaires. One of those is called the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. There's an insomnia, insomnia severity index and the Epworth Sleepiness Scale. Right, the uh, sleepiness scale. Sleepiness scale, yeah. Not exactly sure what that looks like, but it is a clinical way that they use to assess the degree and the severity uh, of sleep disturbances. And I'm sure, I mean, you know, we, we sort of joke when you talk about a sleep journal or whatever, you know, wake up in the morning, how was your sleep? But I'm sure it's more detailed than that. I mean, they ask some questions. They, you know, they get more details. So it, it is a little more objective than just, hey, I slept great or I slept bad. Yeah. And, uh, and nowadays with technology, uh, I think your phones and your watches and all that, can't they tell you how many times you woke up and they can start measuring the quality of your sleep and I'm sure that would be evidence we could use to, to yeah. prove that you woke up 47 times in the night, right? Yeah, I've, I've got one on right now. It's called a Whoop. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. plug for Whoop right now. <laughs> <laughs> From Shakespeare. Plug. plug the Whoop. Brought to you by Shakespeare. You know, but we laugh, but, but that would be a great way to measure yeah. your sleep disturbances because there, it tracks it, it records that. Uh, for weeks, I think, right? Right, for months. I have a six-month picture of what it looks like and they provide a report for me to show to the doctor. What the, that sleep study we referred to, it's called a nighttime polysomnography. That uh -huh. uh, measures a lot of the same information that the WHOOP will capture. That would include, uh, you go into a sleep laboratory, they're assessing your brainwave activity while you sleep, eye movements, muscle movements, heart rate, your respiratory rate, your blood oxygen content, and your limb movements. Now, WHOOP only covers your heart rate, respiratory rate, blood oxygen content, and heart rate variability. But those are all things you can see a change. Like you could look at that information, and if you have a sleep study done, you can kind of see how that evolves over time to show that it's happening. And, and I like the the home method of the WHOOP and and maybe some of the other stuff, just because I know people who've went and had sleep studies, and they're like, look, this is not an accurate reflection of how I sleep because. 
who has a lot of fun going to a place, sleeping with all these things taped all yeah. over your body, and sometimes the lights are on, or they come in and check on you, and then you know, I mean, every, yeah. I think a lot of jurors look at that and go, well, maybe it's probably not that bad because I've had those, and it's nobody can sleep there. Right. Whereas the Whoop, that's just on your arm in your home, right? Yeah. So. It's, it's charging, and our, it's recording what just your 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 baseline. Uh, so you have a picture of what it looks like, and so if, if something happened to me, you could look at my data and see the impact that it had over time. Now, not everybody has that, but it is a measure. Even if I put it on today and mine was crazy, you could certainly say this is atypical, doesn't fit the norm, right? And whoop, doesn't whoop tell you, hey, you're, you've got a lot of stuff going on, you need to relax or you need to do whatever? Yeah, it, it measures your kind of stress level. It told me that my body temperature was a little over last night, it was a little bit warm in our house, so it'll, it'll let you know those factors that will affect your sleep. Obviously, sleep issues leads to tiredness, fatigue, um, just not being your 100% self. Um, how does that intersect with, with TBI, or is TBI directly linked to the fatigue, or is the insomnia linked to the fatigue? How's, how does all that work? Yeah, so I think starting by defining fatigue uh, in terms of how they do it medically, it's the state of chronically feeling tired and exhausted. Now, to be clear, I mean, there are a lot of things that cause fatigue. It's a common symptom, you know, anything from being out of shape to significant medical problems like anemia, multiple sclerosis, or cancer can cause fatigue. But post-traumatic fatigue affects at least 50% of individuals with TBI. Wow. And in those cases, it's often debilitating. There have been long longitudinal studies that have been done on TBI patients. And in those studies, fatigue was present in 68% 68% after the first post-trauma week. 38% after the third month, and 34% after even the sixth month of that longitudinal study. So it, it seems to get, once you cross the six month mark, you're, I don't wanna say stuck with it, this is your life, but I mean, it's gonna be very difficult to overcome those sleep issues and the insomnia and the fatigue and everything wrapped into place if you're still having it six months out. Yeah, it, uh, it can definitely be there even after half a year. And if it's there after half a year, you know, you, you gotta assume that it's gonna continue to some extent, or you, you might be able to assume that's gonna continue to some extent. Now, and I think it's important to realize there's no break. Frequently, you know, you have a mom with a new baby or a dad who's taking care of a new baby. You know, they go for five days on, which is difficult and challenging, but then dad may be at home or mom may be at home for the weekend, so they get that break. Or even grandma comes into town and takes care of the baby for a night, sort of to give a reset. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot of people talk about that, right? Like my mom came into town, took the baby for a weekend, finally got eight, eight good hours of sleep. Yeah. Or I went on vacation and got I went to bed early on Saturday and woke up super late on Sunday, so I'm sort of recharged. There you go, but there's no break for these guys, right? Yeah, it's when you're all those examples you're talking about, that's something external that's causing the fatigue. In these instances where it's traumatic, post-traumatic fatigue, it's caused by something inside of you, you that you can't control. You know, in many in many cases. There's there's different ways to treat this, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's something that affects an injured person's daily life and there's really no escape from it. It affects their ability to work, engage in activities, be a mom or dad, maintain a certain quality of life. And, you know, establishing that connection between the TBI and the fatigue and sorting out, hey, it's not all these other confounding variables, it's the TBI that's causing it. Uh, that's crucial. And, you know, post-traumatic fatigue is caused by a lot of different factors. What are some of the factors that cause it? So uh, there's, you know, at, at least six different kind of factors that will cause it. There's anatomical, there's behavioral, there's biochemical, there's endocrine factors, there's medications, and there's sleep disruption, as we just kind of talked about. Now for anatomical, 
traumatic injury to specific structures within your brain, like the brain stem, the basal ganglia, that can affect your a level of alertness as well as your drive and motivation. So that's gonna that's when the brain there's an actual injury to that part of the brain. Boom! That's what's causing the issue. The injury itself. Yeah, it's 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 creating you know, it's it's causing the fatigue in the way by affecting your level of alertness as well as your drive and motivation. You know, triggering those, you know, internal effects upon you. And then you've got behavioral. You know, okay. depression, which is something that's particularly prevalent with TBI. That can also be related to fatigue development. When you're under that stress of just feeling like you know the world is ending or just life is terrible, just and that's maybe oversimplifying depression. That that can you know develop fatigue so in your TBI well. caused me to have depression, and the depression is what's creating the the fatigue issue. Right, leads to fatigue. Okay. So all these things kind of there's it's a web. Uh, so it's, it's all path together. To, okay. Then you've got biochemical changes like. Uh, traumatic injury to the brain can cause alteration in your amino acids that are produced uh, that can affect the production of neurotransmitters within your brain and the signals that are being sent you know for your body to act and react to certain you know stimuli so the chemicals are off inside right yeah okay much simpler right. uh, endocrine dysfunction you know particularly related to pituitary gland injury this can cause fatigue due to dis deficiencies in your growth hormones your thyroid your cortisol, you know, all the things that make you go, you know, the things that build your muscle, the things that control your stress level, injury to the pituitary gland, you know, cause they, that's the endocrine we'll talk about there. Wow. And then <laughs> medications, these have fatigue as a side effect in a lot of cases. Medications are prescribed to deal with TBI and then sleep disruption and so, all. So the medication, that's one of those things where everybody's evaluating is a cure worse than the disease kind of thing, right? right. You, you've got some injury, some traumatic brain injury issue you're trying to treat, you take the medication, but the medication, like one of the side effects is weight gain, you know, right? right. So it makes you gain a bunch of weight, or it just makes you overly fatigued, or it makes so you can't sleep, right? Right, yeah, it gives you weight gain, which gives you depression, which gives you fatigue, which makes you have drugs to, you know, prevent medication. To do all of that, and, and but it's not like you can just not take the medicine, right? right. That's not a choice for a client, because it's, and there's, and there's rarely other alternatives with a lot of these sorts of, of injuries to the brain. There's, there's limited ways we have to deal with them, right now at least. So it's not like Tylenol where there's a whole bunch of different types of Tylenol out there. There may only be one type of medication for this specific injury to your brain or two. Right. And of which both may have the side effect fatigue, right? Right. Yeah, and, and, and at that point you're, you're locked in. It's, you know, do I deal with this debilitating issue or do I have the secondary, you know, also debilitating fatigue that comes with it and right. you know that's a uh, catch I don't know that's catch 22 no, so yes yeah, yeah. catch everything yeah. I mean kind of deal I mean, it makes and you know when we look at fatigue as a symptom you know I, I know personally like when I'm super tired I'm not myself right you, you know I don't want to if, if I've had a, a super hard day at work or two super hard days at work I'm not going home and being as active and doing all the things I want to do and that's just two days yeah Right, and, and that assumes I can get sleep. I mean, for our, our clients and, and other people who suffer from the fatigue symptom or the insomnia, it's just compounds and compounds. I mean, so like we said, it, it totally change, takes over your life because dad's still dad's too tired to do anything or mom's too tired to do anything, right? Which if you yeah. look at mom was a homemaker and she can no longer get up and clean the house and do all those things, that's gonna fall apart. Her relationship with her husband's gonna fall apart. Probably it affects the resent, you know, I yeah. mean, spouses begin to resent now they get, got another kid, right? Instead of their partner. 
how much people lose for this. And part of our job is, as on the, now we'll switch to the legal aspect of it. Part of our job is to say, I mean, almost basically say, what would you give up? What would you pay to have this part of your life taken away, right? Yeah, and you know, we don't live in, in a time where, you know, you go take away what was taken from you. It's not eye for an eye right. anymore. We live in a world and a constitutional system that says the mechanism that we have by law to give you justice is to give you compensation. So we're not asking for someone to just be given money. If I had to do a study and I put up there and said, hey, we're running this study, we're running this contest, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to get hit in the head and you're not going to be able to sleep for two, more than, you know, for two weeks at a yeah. time. Who would sign up for that study, right? And right. if I said, your sleep is going to be messed up for six months, who's going to sign up for that? And how much would I have to pay right. to get volunteers to come in and do this? Or we talk about the circadian rhythm flipping. How much would, it, would I have to pay for somebody to say, hey, I'll take that job? Yeah. And, and that's probably the right amount. I mean, because that's what I would have to pay for somebody to voluntarily do it is, yeah. is, is at least equivalent to somebody who didn't have a choice, right? Right, so what's the value of what was taken from you? Yeah. You know, it's like if you can't sleep anymore, if you can't function well with your family anymore, it's like what are those relationships worth to you? I, I don't see how anybody would give that up for anything really, but I mean, you gotta start in the millions of dollars or and, something and, like that. And I was gonna say, I mean, and that's what we gotta talk about, right? And that's part of the difficult part of our job is what is that what is that worth, right? What what's the question for that and off the cuff, like you say, you, you say a million dollars sounds like a huge amount of money. But if you've got a, a 30 year old man who's now he sleeps all during the day and, and is up all night and he can't have the accountant yeah. or a doctor, now he can't do that anymore. Now he's going to have to take a night shift job at a, at a fact, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or at a, where the income is in half, or he's not going to be able to see his kids at the family picnic anymore. You know, I mean, because yeah. I, I remember when I knew people who worked night shift, they, when they had to come to do stuff during the day, they were there because it's a family event, but a lot of times they were barely there. You, you know, I mean, they're in the corner, propped up against the wall, trying to be awake, but they're also asleep because they just worked an eight hour shift yeah. and they got two hours of sleep in their back. Or I think about years ago when I had two children, you know, and my wife taking care of them during the day, you know, by the end of the week, she was pretty wiped out. Yeah, I had a client describe it to me one time, you know, he suffered a traumatic brain injury. He said, I feel like I'm a ghost caught between two worlds. And he said, I wish God would just take me to the next one. It's like, that's how bad it had gotten for him. He just felt like he wasn't here in either world. Wow, and and that's one of the things we're gonna talk about on a, on a topic later on is uh, at one of our other episodes, we're gonna talk about the impact of traumatic brain injuries on suicide and, and early, you know, uh, early death where people just feel like there's no options and they're hopeless. Um, another topic we want to talk about is we want to go a little bit deeper into these sleep disturbances and talk about you know what exactly each one means right and, and some of them are pretty self-explanatory. Insomnia everybody knows that means you can't sleep but what really does that mean right? Does right. that mean I can't sleep one or two nights or does that mean forever or you know so we're gonna delve into those topics. So for our listeners if this is a topic that interests you please hit like and subscribe down below and remember the bell uh, we'll let you know when a new episode of Mind Matters comes out. Uh, we should be getting an episode out every single week, so just stay tuned and get regular updates and find out what's going on. And always remember, if you've got a TBI or some kind of injury like that from an accident and you want to talk to one of our attorneys, Thomas, uh, who's here, or uh, one of the other attorneys in the Brain and Concussion Group, uh, please give us a call at 980-999-9999. And remember, if you're in pain, call Shane. Shane.